open, off and Skyly Sensory stayed in the gate. There's Bo Rogue being set alight immediately by Cyril Small and racing to the lead. But Bo Rogue won't give up, he's still in front. Groucho's grabbing him now. Groucho coming at Bo Rogue, don't play, getting a rails run. Bo Rogue in front, he's got a heart as big as himself. He'll win, Bo Rogue! Bo Rogue has cracked it at last. This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Inglis. Mitovite has been producing high-quality feeds and supplements for all walks of equine life for almost 40 years. Mitovite has become a household name in racing and breeding circles with products like Athlete, Formula 3 and Breeder, time-tested products in the breeding barn and on the racetrack. 26 thoroughbred Group 1 winners this season have been on a Mitovite feeding regime. From humble beginnings on the New South Wales Central Coast, Mitovite has become a world leader in equine nutrition. Infrastructure investment in the production mill and close attention to nutritional science keeps Mitovite at a standard of excellence developed over four decades. Check the website, mitovite.com, or follow the Mitovite Racing and Breeding Facebook page. The Mitovite brand has earned the respect of horse people all over the world. Brendan Ward was just 14 years old and a student at the Malvern Primary School in Melbourne when the time came to arrange two weeks of work experience. Growing up in nearby Caulfield, he was well aware of the presence of racing stables in the neighbourhood and felt he'd like to find out more about the racing industry. He was fortunate enough to gain a two-weeks window at the stables of legendary trainer Jeff Murphy. Two weeks, which led to six months of regular weekend work and eventually to an apprenticeship with a trainer who had already sampled his share of Group 1 glory with champions like Surround and Grosvenor. Brendan was almost 36 when he took the big decision to base himself in Canberra, a decision he's never regretted. He's ridden almost 820 winners in 12 seasons since making the move, more than half of his career tally. On two occasions, he's topped the century on the New South Wales Premiership ladder. A couple of nasty injuries slowed him up along the way, but at 48 and superbly fit, he's as dedicated as any jockey in the nation. It's a great pleasure to welcome Brendan Ward to the podcast. Thanks for your time on a Sunday morning, Brendan. No worries, John. It's a pleasure. Well, you're still a regular at Canberra Track Work and you make yourself available whenever you're not travelling to a race meeting on the day. So what does it average out, three or four days a week? Yeah, usually three or four days a week. Um, come in most fast mornings and do a few uh, grass gallops and whatnot, yeah. And that includes the jump-outs, the all-important jump-outs? Yeah, correct. Every Wednesday morning at Canberra we have jump-outs there, Um they might have uh, five jump-outs for the morning and um, usually six jump-out or so. Mm. Provincial and country-based jockeys in this day and age have to travel huge mileage and you're no exception, but you've set a limit, haven't you? No longer than four hours to a race meeting. Yeah, correct, John. I think uh, most tracks that I ride around the area from um, SDRA to... Um, to the Canberra districts, usually you know, a four-hour stretch would see me out and you can cover a fair bit of um, distance in that in that kind of space. Mm. 
You've been a, a fitness fanatic all of your career and nothing's changed. You discovered boxing and kickboxing many years ago. You've walked a million miles and you've run a million miles and they tell me you fancy a mountain bike. Uh, yeah, correct, John. Funny enough, I was about 21. As you know, um, it's a six-year apprenticeship uh, back in Victoria in those days. You start when you're 15, come out when you're 21. Mm. And when I was 21, I took a holiday to the Gold Coast for a couple of weeks and I did a bungee jump and you had to jump on the scales just for the uh, the tension of the rope. Oh. And I was 50, 58 kilo then. I thought, oh, my God. And when I got back uh, back home and back into it, I thought I'll never let myself blow out again. Mm. Um, so I joined the gym and started up boxing and running, and I've um, continued continued that right through, and I've never looked back. No, and probably probably in more recent times, in the past twelve years, I've got right into uh, Muay Thai kickboxing, mm. and um, I really enjoy that. And each holiday when we go to Phuket. Mm. Um, usually go for 10 days or so. Um, the last kind of week we're over there, mm. I'll train train in the mornings. Just mm. so when I, when I come back to race riding, I'm ready to go again. Well, your manager, Hayden, told me, and I'll quote, he said there is no fitter jockey in Australasia than Brendan Ward. It, um, it does get a bit harder now in the gym to train with these younger kind of 20-something-year-olds, but um, no, it's mm. something I've always enjoyed, and I think if you enjoy something, mm. makes it a lot easier. It's um, I feel for the jockeys that really have to strip off four or five kilo to ride, oh, yeah. um, they've got to force themselves to go for a run with a sweat gear, but mm. I, I um, obviously love it. Your wife, Naomi, is also dedicated to a regular fitness regime, and she joins you in many of those activities. Yeah, my wife, um, whatever I do, she does in um, mm. whatever activity it might be. And when we've gone over to New Zealand a couple of times, we've done many of things like skiing and bungee jumping, um, whitewater rafting. Mm. Um, yeah, she's certainly not afraid to have a go, that's for sure. That's great, mate, and it's inspirational for you too. Yeah, exactly. And, um, yeah, it's always good to share things with your wife and your partner. You were born in 1973, the only child of Joy and Peter Ward. You grew up in Caulfield, where racehorses must have been a very common sight in the streets every day. Uh, they were, John. Obviously, I went to Caulfield High, and you're in the classroom there, and you're seeing them go around on a Wednesday afternoon. Um, when I was very young, I didn't have any interest in racing whatsoever, mm. um, and then, as you said, said before, the uh, work experience came up when I was 14. Mm. Um, everyone in my classroom was giving it a go, and I thought, oh, look, I'll uh, try and do a bit of work, exper work experience at the stable there. And, mm. um, yeah, and then I went on from there. There was no racing background in the family, but you tell me your dad loved a day at the races, and later in life he shared in the ownership of a couple of horses. He did. He was a, um, a strong advocate of going to the races every Saturday. If he wasn't at the races, he was uh, at Waverley Park back then. They used to uh, play football back then at Waverley Park and he uh, mm. a keen supporter of Collingwood. So if he wasn't at the uh, races, he was at the footy and he dragged me along to both places. Mm. Dad has passed on, sadly, but your mum is still going strong. She's 88 and she lives in Geelong. Yeah, correct. She lives in Geelong there in Grovedale. Um, 
Obviously, I don't get uh, down to Geelong as much as I'd like these days, but I often speak to her on the phone regularly. You went to Malvern Primary, as I mentioned, later to Caulfield High, and by your own admission, and I admire your honesty, you said you were no Rhodes Scholar. No, that's for sure, John. I ended up getting a fair bit of strife at school, like uh, <laughs> a lot of like a lot of young kids. But um, once I stepped into the racing circle, that sorted me out very sharply. I bet it did, mate. Yeah, I went from a young fourteen-year-old boy to in a man's game, so to speak, straight away. Yeah, it was a great leveller, isn't it? The old racing game. Yeah, that's for sure, and um, it sorted me out straight away. Now, when you got into Jeff Murphy's stables on the work experience uh, adventure, were you instantly hooked on the horses or did it take a while to develop? It actually took a while to develop. Um, yeah, I never, I was never really keen in being a jockey straight away or I was just feeling it out. Um, mm. And I thought I'd give the, give the weekend work a go for six months. Um, and as I started to get more involved in it, I thought, oh, look, I, I wouldn't mind giving this a go. I was very light. Mm. Um, I, th- I think my first race ride when I was 15, I was 38 kilo. Yeah. Um, I was very light and I thought, look, I'll, um, yeah, I'll, I'll give this a go. Um, but early doors, I never had any interest in racing. Now, when you started to ride track work for Jeff Murphy, there were two riders whose services Jeff used on a regular basis, two great horsemen, and they both took a little bit of an interest in you, uh, Gary Willits and Darren Gouchy. Yeah, Gary Willits was there riding work and obviously the Gouch, um, and they were always willing to um, help any young apprentice out. You could ask them for advice and all the first ones to come to you and give it to you. Um, Gary Willits, he, um, he gave me a couple of his suits that um, – he had just sitting in the closet, and I actually think I got a stoner saddle back in those days. I think it was a six-kilo saddle mm-hmm. off um, off the late great um, Brian Andrews, I think oh, it yeah. was. Yeah. Yeah, I think he later on ended up being a steward, I believe. In New Zealand? Yeah, correct, yeah, yeah I believe. Brian um, he yeah. rode that great horse Apollo 11, uh, which beat Gunsind at Gunsind's last race. Yeah, correct, and I got a saddle off him, but all the jockeys mm. were great in giving advice to young um, young kids at the time. Mm. Now, getting back to the late Jeff Murphy, one of the great characters of racing in that era, uh, he was known to speak his mind on occasions. Were you ever on the receiving end of one of his colourful tirades? Oh, funny enough, John, I was. I was um, riding, I think it was at Werribee one meeting um, for Jeff and, um, yeah, I just give it a sore back. Um, <laughs> basically, a uh, three-kilo kid, um, yeah. give it a sore back and he's given me an almighty spray in the mountain yard. We've ended up in the steward's room. Oh. Um, he got a bit of a dressing down by the stewards, but I was – I was petrified of the man, to be honest. He was a big, tall man and, mm. yeah, um, I was only a young boy, you know, and, yeah, I'd be there in the morning. He'd come bang on five o'clock in the morning. Um, you, set, you set your clock by him mm. and uh, I'd run the feeds out to the horses. He'd make up the feeds in the room there and, mm. yeah, he was, a, he, was a, he was a scary man. Yeah, he knew a little bit about horse training, didn't he? Oh, absolute um, genius. I didn't realise until later on in life what a great trainer he was, you know. Mm. Good horse after good horse. Exactly, yeah. And by the time I got there, he didn't have um, a lot of great horses there, but he still had 60 in work. Um, 
Yeah, but yeah, absolutely great horseman. Now, one of the nice ones he had in your time was a horse called Ma Wong. He won a Caulfield Guineas and he later won a Group 1 Railway Stakes in Perth and you tell me you rode him work a bit. Yeah, not a lot, but I did jump on his back and um, I believe Simon Marshall was his regular rider, I think, race day. Mm. Um, yeah, and it had a fair bit of attitude about it. It had its own um, its own kind of stable, not without, not around any horses. Mm. Um, yeah, it had a very cranky demeanour about it, but, mm. yeah, it was a nice horse. You were sharing rides with other apprentices at the time in Murphy's stable. Uh, who were some of them? Uh, Mandu Darkies, he was apprenticed to Jeff at the time. He was probably a year in front of me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was also um, around that time there was Danny Nicklick. Oh, Dan was there, uh, yeah. Yeah, I think he was with Mick Crawford. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was uh, probably another year after that David Taggart come along. Goodness me. And what about so Shane were... Tronerud? Was he oh, there? Oh, yes, yeah, that's right. Shane Tronner had spent the last six months with Jeff Murphy mm-hmm. um, as an apprentice. Um, yeah, so he was there. And what um, about, there's another one, George Evagora. Yeah, George Evagora, he was there at the time. Um, yeah, he, he um, was a great apprentice there. He rode a lot of city winners. Mm. Now, here's a date, 27th of December, 1988. That was the date of your riding debut on the Seymour track. You rode a horse called Ransenga for the boss and it wasn't a dream debut, was it? No, John, it didn't end up winning. But, um, yeah, it was the first um, first day of my career as an apprentice jockey. Um, my father and uh, his sister and a couple of, um, couple of friends were there to see me ride for the first time and it was a great thrill. A couple of other good horses in Jeff's stable at the time that I jotted down, a filly called Dancer's Joy. Jeff won uh, a magic millions with her, with Jimmy Cassidy on board. And there was another stayer by the name of Big Grey Roo who was placed in a Victoria derby. Yeah, that's right. I believe I think it ran in the Melbourne Cup off memory as well. Um yeah, so we still did have a couple of handy ones in his uh, team, that's for sure. At what point, Brendan, did you pick up the classic old Aussie nickname of Snowy? Yeah, that's um, – it was while I was a Caulfield apprentice to Jeff, but I'm not too sure how I got the name, but uh, it followed me um, it followed me for a few years in my early 20s, but there's only a few people that um, – Still call me that to my to this day, but an odd one. What even at Canberra? Um, no, not so much in Canberra. They don't really know me as Snowy there. But I uh, mm. ran into Danny Nicklick uh, back in um, February. Yeah, and uh, at Marimbala, and he, um, I was getting a coffee, and he come up to me and said, "Oh, good day, Snowy." <laughs> and I got a and I got a shock because I haven't seen Dan for a long time, and no. and and that kind of name, Snowy, I haven't heard it for a while either. So. Mm. Yeah, but it came about to Caulfield. I don't know how it came about, but it stuck Mm. with me for a while. Early in your career, Snow, you were sent on loan to the Ollie Cox stable at Wodonga. You spent five months there. You loved every minute of it. And what a racing legend was Ollie Cox in that region. Yeah, at the time, um, in the 80s and early 90s, Ollie and Brian Cox, they had a big stable there. 
and they were probably the leading trainers um, in that district for a long time. Um, they had a lot of good jockeys come through come through their stable. Steve Sharman, he was there for a fair while. Mm. Uh, David O'Pray, George Evergora had a stint there. Michael Barlow. Mm. Um, at the time in the area, you also had Richard Freer at Cora. They were the two leading um, stables. Mm. And I, and I went to Wodonga, I think, um, January 1990 for five months. Mm. Um, and I, I had a fair bit of success there and I loved every minute of it. Mm. Towards the end of your apprenticeship, you were sent to Adelaide on a three-month loan out to a very successful trainer in Ken Sweeney. You got a lot of opportunities from Ken and other trainers and you rode 20 city winners in that time. Yeah, that's correct. I went there, um, I had about 12 months left in my apprenticeship and I still claimed three in Metropolitan. Uh, I went mm. over to Adelaide the Ken because he's got a base, or he still has a base at Geraldry there, yeah. not too not too far from Wodonga, mm. and um, went there for three months and Ken had a good stable at the time there and he's always been a big supporter of apprentices. Mm. And he's, he's not afraid to put apprentices on and... Um, I was uh, lucky enough to get on some nice horses at the time and, um, mm. yeah, I loved every minute of it. And at the time, uh, they were just introducing uh, Sunday races, so I was very lucky enough that I didn't have to go to a lot of Sunday meetings. Mm. It was mainly kind of Wednesday and Saturday. Right. Well, you won races at Morfordville and on two other famous tracks in Adelaide which have long gone to the developers. Cheltenham and Victoria Park. Somebody took me in through the gates of Victoria Park one day on a non-race day, and I've never forgotten it, Brendan. It, those beautiful old-world grandstands, it just had a look about it that I don't think I'd ever, ever seen before. Yeah, it was a lovely track to ride it. It's kind of a shame it's gone, but, um, yeah, it was, it was a fantastic place. Um, yeah. Well, Ollie Cox came into your life again. And he made you an offer you simply couldn't refuse. What was it? Yeah, look, he said to me, um, you know, do you want to come and uh, be my stable rider? Because I was um, still back in in uh, Caulfield at the time and I was just poking around a lot in the Western districts. So I wasn't um, doing too much. And I thought, yeah, I'd love to come back. And um, so I, I took up the position of um, stable apprentice there and I, I kind of remained it there for 20-odd years in Aubrey-Wodonga. 20-odd mm. years as a freelancer? Yeah, correct. Um, mm. And I've met a lot, lot of great people along the way in that area, Aubrey-Wodonga and the Riverina, mm. um, from owners, trainers, jockeys and, and the like. Um, mm. Yeah, a lot of fantastic people around there. There was one very quirky horse in Ollie's stable at that time, Brendan, and you've never forgotten him. His name was Noble Toff. He was an equine misogynist, if there's yeah. such a thing. He would not let a female in his yard. Yeah, that's right, John. I just uh, clicked with this horse. Um, had a lot of clerks about it. it it just didn't like females at all. Um, they'd, they'd go into his box or yard to, to muck it out in the mornings and he'd just charge them and mm. you always had to ride him track work in a stock saddle. He was just one of those funny horses. And But I had a fair bit of luck with him. I think I might have won eight races on him. And mm. um, Yeah, it was just one of those funny horses. Mm. 
Now, during that 20 years uh, based in Wodonga, you rode all over the place, as you said, New South Wales included, and you were very friendly with fellow jockey Peter Robel. Now, Peter was based at Benalla, not too far away, but he was a real traveller, and you and he would often have rides at the same meeting. You became great mates. Yeah, look, I've known Peter Robel for, um, as you say, many years from uh, when I was based in Wodonga and he was at Benalla. Um, we've yeah, rode along the country circuit for many, many years and, um, yeah, it's um, great to see him have success as a trainer now. He's going very well. He popped up with one at Wyong the other day, I noticed, and he had one at Randwick on the Kensington track recently. But, mate, um, he knows a fair bit about the caper. Oh, he does. Um, I was lucky enough to have a ride for him not that long ago, actually. It was my first race for it, ride for him at Canberra, and mm. uh, I got the results. So, no, it was great to um, get a winner for somebody, one of your good mates, you know. Wonderful. Can you recall the horse's name? Uh, off memory, no. Sorry, John, I can't. No. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Brendan, let's pause for a moment on the podcast to clear a commitment, and we'll come back with you after this. An 11th hour exemption from the New South Wales government will allow 10,000 race-starved fans to attend Royal Randwick on Saturday for the Tab Everest. It's doubtful that any horse race in the world has ever captured the public imagination in such a short time. Slot holders have been clamouring for the best credential sprinters for many weeks now, resulting in a 12-horse field of stunning quality. The Everest will be supported by the rapidly ascending Kosciuszko and Group 3 highlights like the Craven Plate and the Sydney Stakes. The 2021 Everest crowd at Randwick will be only a quarter of what it would have been in normal times, but it's better than nothing. My special guest is Brendan Ward, Canberra-based jockey, uh, who's had phenomenal success over a long period of years, having ridden close to 1,500 race winners. Now, because you'd ridden frequently at places like Wagga and Albury, you were well-known to Canberra trainers. And when you finally made the decision to settle in the national capital, you were able to get away to a very good start. What prompted that decision, Brendan? Why Canberra? Um, probably two months prior to actually uh, making the move, I was just sitting down with my wife, Naomi, one day um, and one of my good friends was there as well and they said, why don't you make the move to Canberra? You're riding up that way a lot. Mm. And um, I wouldn't say I was in my comfort zone in Wodonga, but I was, I was kind of content and happy where I was situated. Mm. Um, and... I was getting a lot of support from the Canberra trainers and it, it kind of just made sense to make the move. Yeah, um, yeah and it was been, been a fantastic move. Well, you've had two unforgettable seasons, 2011-2012, 101 winners, and 2013-14, 102 winners. They were your stats on all tracks in New South Wales and the ATC in those two seasons. You could do no wrong. No, I was uh, very fortunate at the time. I was riding for um, good trainers, the likes of Matthew Dale and Nick Olive and Barbara Joseph mm. and and a lot of um, outside trainers as well, Danny Williams and 
uh, the, the horses I was riding at the time, they were just firing and I was uh, fortunate enough to get on them at the right time. Mm. How many Canberra premierships have you put away? Uh, six, I believe. Yeah, I'm six. still a fair way, still a fair way off Matthew Carr, though. <laughs> yeah, now there's a marvel. <laughs> yeah, he's um, yeah, he's absolute genius, Matthew Carr is. Yeah. Yeah. Not only is he a great rider, I think he was at Gulban on Saturday, but doesn't he drive some miles? He lives in Cowra. Yeah, based at Cowra, and he travels around everywhere. Yeah, no, he's a, he's a um, gentleman of the sport. Of the sport. Well, soon after that big season, 2013-14, that fickle old girl, Lady Luck, turned her back on Brendan Ward. You were one of three horses to come down at the 600 metres mark in a race at Wagga and you sustained a fracture of the C2 vertebra. On went the neck brace for several weeks and then it was a long rehabilitation. Yeah, John, as you say, I had a race fall at Wagga. Um, I had um, no doubt in my mind that I'd get back after that. I think I was out of the saddle about four months, but um, I just couldn't get a kick along straight away. And like any injury, when you come back, you've got to um, all guns blazing, so to speak, and ride winners straight away. And I just couldn't get a roll along. Mm. And it took, me a, it took me a bit of uh, time to get back into it. Mm. It's funny that. I, I wonder if it's a confidence factor or do you think owners and trainers, trainers in particular, want to see how you're going first? Yeah, I think owners and trainers just want to see when you come back if, you, if you've still got the drive and the desire and, you know. Mm. Um, yeah, and I just couldn't get the results on the board straight away, um, mm. unfortunately, yeah. Well, for the next four years you had a great time riding winners all over the place. And then that old girl bit you on the bum again, Lady Luck. This time it was in a jump out at Canberra and the horse is a celebrity. Few people realise that the Kosciuszko winner, Handle the Truth, was an absolute brute early in his career. What did he do to Brendan Ward? Yeah, John, I um, I was riding it at a 400 metre jump out, so this is well before it's it's been to the trials or so. It was just learning the caper, mm. and he's he's a big, strong animal. And um, he started to hang off coming towards the winning post. Mm. And I've got him around the uh, the two gaps there, mm. and around the back straight. He just decided to um, take on the outside fence with me and oh. crashed. Th- I crashed through it, and um, and the end of the day, I ended up breaking my hip. And they called the ambulance, and the ambulance attended me and they said, oh, can you lift your legs? Can you do a scissor kick? Mm. And I said, yes, I can do that. And they said, look, I don't think it's broken. Would you like to go to hospital? Mm. And going off their advice, I said, oh, no, I should be fine because I was Mm. sore but not in pain. And um, that was Mm. on the Wednesday morning. Mm. And I had three rides at at Wagga on the Friday, three consecutive race rides in a row. Mm. And I ended up riding with a broken hip. Oh. Um, yeah, rode with a broken hip and Saturday morning I said to my wife in bed, I was in extreme pain, I said, look, you've got to take me to emergency. Yeah. Uh, got x-rays and they uh, realised yeah, I've had a broken hip. Goodness me. Did you ride all three horses at Wagga? Yeah, I did actually, yeah, yeah. Goodness gracious um, me. <laughs> yeah. Couldn't you feel anything when you were kicking those horses to the line? 
Uh, look, um, unless you tell me it's broken, I just assume I'm, I'm just sore and I kept riding and, uh, yeah. yeah, it ended up being a broken hip. Was the surgery complicated? No, it was pretty straightforward. They put a rod down my femur bone and that's mm. going to stay in there for life because it's just too difficult to um, mm. to remove. Um, but I've never had an issue with it since. It, it does play up a little bit in the colder months of Canberra winter, but... Mm. Um, overall, it's been good. A large percentage of jockeys uh, have had to tolerate a rod, haven't they, from time to time? You know, young Jai McNeil, who's riding up a storm at the moment in Melbourne, uh, had to take a month or so off not long ago to have an old rod removed. Yeah, correct. I don't believe there'd be too many jockeys that haven't broken bones over the years. And if, if you're going to ride horses, whether it's racehorses or horses in general, you're going to come off them at some stage. So, yeah, but I've been very fortunate over the years with injuries. I, you know, my main two have probably been in recent times. Mm. We haven't seen a lot of you on Sydney tracks over the years for the simple reason that you've always wanted to look after your many loyal clients in the southern districts. But I do recall you winning a race at Rose Hill one day on a horse with an unusual name, McNuckle, and he was at big odds. He was a dead set 100 to 1 pop. I think Bernie Howlett might have been the trainer. Yeah, correct, John. He was a great horse to me. Um, obviously, one at Rose Hill, and uh, I was fortunate enough to uh, ride him in the the Walker Cup. Mm. Um, yeah, so he's, he's been a great horse to me, that horse. Ended up winning a Goulburn Cup and a Canberra Cup as well. Mm. Mac Knuckles. Um, yeah, and to this day, the the owners still have horses with Keith Dryden because since since Bernie Howell's retired, so yeah. yeah. Now there was another good day in town. Around two thousand and eight, you rode a double at Canterbury for well known Gundagai trainer David Blundell, and we think the horses were Monterey Road and Ab Fab. He's a good trainer, David Blundell, and when he brings one to the city, they are usually highly regarded. Yeah, correct, John. He doesn't bring a lot to town these days, but um, he's always been a great trainer around the SDRA and Gundagai. Um, he's trained some fantastic horses over his career, and mm. I've been um, lucky enough to ride for him for many, many of years. Mm. Now, Brendan, the best horse you've ridden in your region and probably the best horse you've ever been on, certainly the fastest horse you've ever been on, is Fell Swoop, who's now won 10 races, almost $2 million. He's been placed in a couple of Group 1s, and he actually ran in the first Everest in 2017. You won three straight on him at Canberra, early days. Did he feel like a Group 1 horse? He did, John. He always had that kind of X, fa X factor about him. Um, I rode him his first start, and funny enough, I got, I got beat on him, and the horse that won never won another race since. Um, and then I was, I was lucky enough, Matthew Dale, give me another chance on him and ended up winning three straight on it. Um, and then it just went uh, – never looked back. It just went forward leaps and bounds. You've had strong associations with trainers like Keith Dryden, you mentioned them earlier, Nick Olive, Norm Gardner, Barbara Joseph, Matthew Dale, and they've been responsible for a great number of your Southern winners. Norm Gardner is probably a trainer 
uh, Brendan, who flies under the radar, doesn't he? He he breeds a lot of his own horses, probably doesn't work more than 20 at any given time, but his strike rate is as healthy as anybody's. Yeah, Norm is a very good trainer in Canberra. He um, knows, knows what he's doing with an animal and, as you say, doesn't really have any more than 20 in work, but he's always got a couple of handy ones there. Now, I, I mentioned your manager, Hayden Kelly. He tells me you're super fit. You're super keen and you're very passionate about what you do. So I imagine retirement is not on your radar. You must be 47, 48, Brendan. Yeah, correct, John, 48. And uh, no, retirement's um, not an issue for me at this stage. Um, I'm very passionate and um, I still have a lot of goals that I want to achieve at this stage. And, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm still very keen to ride the winners. Mm. What are some of those primary goals you've got in mind? I've always wanted to win an Aubrey Cup, a local cup, and that's excluded mm. me at this stage. Um, yeah, so you can't ride winners if you're sitting on the couch. So the only way <laughs> to get out there and ride them. And um, mm. yeah, so I've always wanted to ride an Aubrey Cup winner. Um, but yeah, like I'm still as keen as ever and, and just love riding. Mm. You know, Country racetracks have improved out of all knowledge, haven't they, in recent years? I mean, racing's become a very big business now in the regional areas and with the backing of Racing New South Wales and uh, increased prize money, the standard of tracks simply has to be A grade. And you'd be riding on tracks now that are the equal of Randwick or Rose Hill. Yeah, we take Goulburn, for example. It's it's a country racetrack, but it might as well be provincial. Um, you only got to look at the calibre of trainer that goes there now. There's a, a lot of Sydney trainers from Guy Walter, Gay Waterhouse, uh, John O'Shea. They all go there now. Mm. Um, and it's not too far from Warwick Farm. It's probably an hour and a half. Um, but the prize money's fantastic in um, country New South Wales now. Mm. Are you one of those jockeys who likes to do a little bit of his own form? I mean, we've got such a fantastic service now on the Racing New South Wales web. You can watch replays from everywhere. Do you put some time into form? Yeah, I do, John. Uh, race morning, um, yeah, get out the newspaper and look at the replays of the horses just before I um, go to the races to refresh your memory. And, yeah, I do that quite often. Mm. Now, Hayden's job, of course, is to get you as many rides as he possibly can uh, at a given venue on a given day. And uh, so you're pretty happy. If he says to you, look, there, I've got five rides for you at Corowa, for instance, three or four of them have got good chances, you're happy to trundle off to Corowa. Yeah, my word, John. Um, yeah, no, quite happy to do that any day of the week. Um Travelling doesn't bother me as long as it's kind of no further than four hours, but mm. uh, no, I'm quite happy to get in the car and go. Mm. So looking back on those early days in Melbourne uh, when the teacher, the school principal at Malvern Primary said, you've got to go and organise two weeks' work experience, so off you went to Jeff Murphy's stables and that was the defining moment, wasn't it? That's when it all changed. It did, uh, my word. It, um, I could have, uh, yeah, could have ended up anywhere. But look, it all changed at that point. Um, and thank Christ, it did. Um, <laughs> it introduced me into the racing industry, and I've never looked back since. 
Well, you've given great service to racing in New South Wales and the ACT and Victoria. 1,500 winners is a very distinguished career, Brendan, interrupted by two major uh, injuries. Uh, You've been able to overcome both and, as we've mentioned on more than one occasion, you are a fitness freak and that's the reason you're still going so strongly at 48. Oh, I think, John, as you get older, you've got to look after yourself a bit more. You haven't got youth on your side anymore and um, and you get a bit wiser too. But, yeah, being active, it, it's never bothered me and I enjoy it. Lovely to talk and I appreciate your time, Brendan Ward, on a Sunday morning on a podcast produced by Supernova Sound. Thank you very much. Uh, it's my pleasure, John. Thank you. The English Bloodstock team believes the catalogue for the 2021 ready-to-race sale is the best ever. The amended date for the sale is Tuesday, October 26, commencing at 11am. 185 two-year-olds have been catalogued by some of Australasia's most influential stallions with a number of exciting new sires represented. Most importantly, these youngsters have been prepared by some of the most capable breeze-up experts in the Southern Hemisphere. The breeze-up sessions are in full swing in Australia and New Zealand and you can access a high-quality video of each and every workout on the English website within 48 hours of the gallop. At your leisure, you can make an assessment of tractability, attitude, action and potential ability of the two-year-olds of your choice. Over 400 individual winners have come from this sale since 2015 and between them, they've accumulated more than $60 million in prize money. For your hard copy of the catalogue, email catalogatenglish.com.au or contact a member of the English Bloodstock team on 9399-7999. Remember, the 2021 English Ready to Race sale will be held on October 26th.